Have you ever wondered why Western or allopathic medicine is so popular? I mean, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You have these massive hospitals full of all sorts of shiny stainless steel and very expensive equipment. You have people going around in white coats, people who've spent years and years and years studying, training, learning so that they can practice, which is an interesting choice of word, practice medicine so that they can heal you. You have these enormous drug companies constantly producing the latest and greatest new drug to help keep you healthy and safe. Goodness only knows how we survived before they came on the scene. And you have drug outlets everywhere, pharmacies, doctors, surgeries. I mean, it's all over the place. It has to be the way forwards, doesn't it? But what if something altogether different was going on and that those very people that intend to help heal you, that want to help you, have been misled. What if something else was going on altogether? The enemy of knowledge isn't ignorance. The enemy of knowledge is incorrect knowledge. And it's easy to educate, or perhaps the more accurate term would be indoctrinate, men and women into thinking and incorrect knowledge so that they can never discover the real way of doing things. And then they really start to defend what they have been taught as being the truth. Now, I don't want to get at the people in the healthcare industry because there are many that really want to help heal people, and I salute you for that. But it's very easy to have been misled and not really know what the story is. As with all the information I put in front of you, it's vital that you do your own digging, do your own searching, see what resonates with you so that you can find your own way with this, because all I can explain to you is my view of the field, and my view is not your view. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you some quotes, many of which are from whale.to, which is a really interesting website, some good resources on there. Then I'm going to read you a section from my book, Alternative Principles for Health. And then I'm going to read you a section written by Hans Roosh, which I think was from his book, The Naked Empress. Now, Hans is a really interesting guy. He was an ex-racing driver from the 30s and became an activist and against uh, vivisection, which is just, when you read his books and you look into it, it's another god-awful con and a great catastrophe that befalls more than 300 million animals a year that are brutally tortured, maimed, and killed in the so-called name of science, and nothing could be further from the truth. So now what I'm going to do is read you some quotes and some sections from some articles on whale.to. And these are from the allopathic medicine racket, medical mafia, big pharma. Medications are palliatives. Now palliatives means the treatment of the symptom rather than looking for the root cause and fixing that. So medications are palliatives. They are not designed to cure the degenerative diseases of the body. That's F. Batman Gellage, I think it is MD. To teach the Rockefeller drug ideology, it is necessary to teach that nature didn't know what she was doing when she made the human body. Hans Roosh. You need to understand that they want you sick and dying expensively. Carolyn Dean, MD, ND. The beginning of wisdom is to call things by the right names. Chinese proverb. Allopathy is essentially an extortion scheme used by a protection racket called the fear of disease. It is taken over from religion as a false god, 
and derives its power from Big Brother, it being his main source of income, covert taxpayer robbery in parenthesis, and means of control, as the church used to be in the old days. Big Pharma also meshes with Sex Inc. They are brought every type of person, including ministers of health in some countries. There is a huge amount of corruption. In my country, for example, Denmark, we are regarded as having very little corruption, but yet we have thousands of doctors on industry payroll, although we are just 20,000 doctors. So this is effectively a kind of corruption. The drug industry buys the professors first, then chiefs of departments, then chief physicians, and so on. They don't just buy junior doctors. So when several thousand are on industry payroll, it's really, really bad. Dr. Peter Goetz, I suppose G-O-T-Z-S-C-H-E, expresses Big Pharma as organized crime. Vaccines are the backbone of the entire pharmaceutical industry. If they can make these children sick at an early age, they become customers for life. Dr. Sherry Tempany, D.O. BCG is a goldmine for ear, nose and throat specialist, Dr. Jean Elmiger, MD. A young Australian lady living in England organised one of my many seminars, and there she told me that her father told her to go to Vera's seminars and do not vaccinate your children. All those ear infections, otis media, in parenthesis, and problems like glue ear are caused by vaccination. When I asked her who her father is, she said he is an ear, nose and throat specialist in Brisbane, Australia, Viera Scheibner. 25% of antibiotics were used to treat Otis Media. Dr. Kalokarinos, MD, 2004, where 25% of global antibiotic sales in 2016, $10 billion. An association between antibiotic exposure and asthma is accepted both by the medical profession and the Department of Social Security in the UK and the Health Department in Australia. Lisa Landymore Lim. Results. Vaccinated children are up to 14 times more likely to have asthma than unvaccinated. About 24 million Americans have asthma, 1 in 13. 5.4 million in the UK, 1 in 11 children. The global market for asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, drugs is set to reach $47 billion in 2017. Direct cost, hospital and drugs, 2015 for asthma in the USA is $50 billion. For just one lifelong drug-induced disease, then there is autism, 1 in 40 children, eczema, allergies, seizures, epilepsy, diabetes. Vaccination is not disease prevention. It is a particularly nasty form of organized crime in that it manipulates parents' protective instincts to get them to submit their child into getting poisoned for profit under the guise of disease prevention. Erwin Alba, Vaccination Information Network, Stroke Vine. Medical science has made such tremendous progress that there is hardly a healthy human left. Aldous Huxley. The school medicine protagonists, stroke practitioners, need the paralyzing, stupid-making, and destructive fear of disease causing phantom virus as a central basis for their existence. Firstly, in order to harm many people with vaccinations, in order to build up for themselves a clientele of chronically ill and ailing objects who will put up with anything being done to them. Secondly, in order not to have to admit they are failing totally in their treatments of chronic illness and have killed and are killing more people than all the wars have so far made possible. Dr. Stefan Lanker. Allopathy, the medical monopoly in parenthesis, 
controls all government health, in quotes, departments, such as the coroner, vaccine committees, the hospitals, universities, disease charities, media. And that was in PubMed. Allopaths can legally lie. The High Court, the Court of Appeal, and the House of Lords all rule that under the law as it stood, the GP who failed Robbie, um, you want to have a read of that article, it was back in 2014, the GP who failed Robbie and then lied about it had the full protection of civil law. An appeal was made to the European Court of Human Rights, but this confirmed that British doctors do not have to tell the truth or even refrain from deliberately falsifying medical records, and that was in quotes, 2014 UK. To sell chemotherapy as a therapy is most likely the biggest deceit in the history of medicine. Whoever masterminded this chemo torture deserves a monument in hell. Dr. Reich Geard Hamer, MD. The allopathic dark ages of medicine. The machinery looks good. The technology seems nice. The stainless steel is shiny. Everything smells like isopropyl alcohol. I mean, they are the greatest salesmen in the world. We're going to look back at this century and we're going to laugh eventually, but we'll cry first. This is one of the most barbaric periods. It's going to be called the Dark Ages of Medicine. Dr. Richard Schultz, ND, MH. That was in 1995. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Modern Medicine, Allopathy The American Medical Association is fashioned to prescribe drugs and perform various treatments that, although they may be unsuspecting, tend to weed out the weaker species. The Council views the AMA's modern medicine as barbaric. That was Bryce Taylor. Allopathy, the leading cause of death. The number of people having in hospital adverse drug reactions to prescribed medicine is 2.2 million. Dr. Richard Besser of the CDC, in 1995, said the number of unnecessary antibiotics prescribed annually for viral infections was 20 million. The number of unnecessary medical and surgical procedures performed annually is 7.5 million. The number of people exposed to unnecessary hospitalizations annually is 8.9 million. The number of iatrogenic deaths shown in the following table is 783,936. Adverse drug reactions, 106,000. Medical errors, 98,000. Bed sores, 115,000. Infection, 88,000. Malnutrition, 108,800. Outpatients, 199,000. Unnecessary procedures, 37,136. Surgery related, 32,000. Cost, $282 billion. It is evident that the American medical system is the leading cause of death and injury in the United States. 
and that's from Death by Medicine, Gary Knoll, PhD, Carolyn Dean, MD, ND, Martin Feldman, MD, Deborah Razio, MD, and Dorothy Smith, PhD. And there's a sub-comment on there. Over 60 billion doses of vitamins and mineral supplements per year are sold in the USA, and there's not been a single fertility, not one. Anything the medical profession says. Do the opposite 99% of the time, and you'll be right. Agenus Vonderplanets. The pharmaceutical industry does not create cures, they create customers. And this final one, because this ties it all into the cartel. The planet is being controlled at an alarming extent by elites, or as I call them, cartels. There are many cartels, but seven are the most powerful. They evolve. They learn from one another. They both compete and cooperate. Unfortunately, the trend is more towards cooperation. These seven cartels represent the following areas. Government. Military. Intelligence. Energy. Money media, and medical. John Rappaport. Moving on now, I'm going to read you a section from my book. The real reason why Western allopathic medicine is so popular. First and foremost, it is not because Western medicine is the be-all and end-all. In fact, it is far from it. In 1910, one of the richest and I believe most evil men in the world, John D. Rockefeller, who had made a massive fortune with his standard oil company, set about to completely dominate the drug and pharmaceutical industry. I have read that the Rockefeller family now make more money from drugs and pharmaceuticals than they make from oil, so they have easily achieved the original goal. Rockefeller's first task was to eliminate the competition, which consisted of natural, non-allopathic healing modalities such as botanical and herb medicine, holistic medicine, naturopathy, homeopathy, sound therapy, Reiki, and so on. All of these have their place as effective healing modalities. Hemp was also a severe threat to his plans since cannabis is a plant and cannot be patented, which reduces its profit potential. No matter what you may have heard, cannabis was used in many effective medicines at the time and has tremendous medical benefits, very strong anti-cancer properties, and has very useful pain relief properties. So the first job is to make the plant illegal and spread rumors about how dangerous it is, which of course it isn't. It is also worth knowing that the return on investment made in the drug industry is very, very high. The Flexner Report Early in the last century, Abraham Flexner was paid by John D. Rockefeller to visit all medicine schools in the United States at the time and to create a report on those that supported drug-based medicine in 1910, the Flexner Report was released, which called for the standardization of medical education and concluded there were too many doctors and medical schools in America. Using Rockefeller's control of the media industry, Rockefeller was able to generate public outcry at the findings of the report, which led the American Congress to declare the American Medical Association, AMA, and I've seen it referred to more accurately as the American Murder Association, the only body with the right to grant medical licenses to schools in the United States. Rockefeller then uses the AMA due to their widespread use and endorsement of chemotherapy, radiotherapy, vaccines, which are very toxic, and other drugs to compel the government to destroy the competition through regulating the medical schools. Very simple, incredibly effective, and very wrong. 
for a deeper understanding of how easy it is to manipulate, and we are being manipulated, have a look at The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. The AMA only endorses schools with a drug-based curriculum, so it doesn't take long for the very effective and non-damaging natural methods of treatment to fail because of lack of funding. There is plenty of research available about the Flexner Report and Rockefeller's hold on Big Pharma and the medical industry. Doctors are encouraged and frequently bribed to prescribe toxic and side-effect-laden treatments including autism-causing vaccines. I've read several times that the Rockefeller family used naturopathic medicine when needed as opposed to drug-based medicine. I do not know if it is true, but if it is, then that says many things. After all, they should know the full story, not the lies we, the profit fodder public, is fed day in and day out. So there you have it. It is not that Western medicine is better than all the other modalities. It's just that the world's most rich and powerful man had rigged the game once again in his favor, making it highly unlikely that any of the other modalities gained any popularity. Thankfully, I sense that the world is changing and that people are waking up to the truth and are ready to use more effective, more supportive, non-damaging methods of healing themselves being delivered by practitioners who understand healing. If you've not already looked at alternative medicine, I encourage you to have a look at it with an open mind, since the treatments are so gentle, supportive, non-damaging, and effective. One final note on Western medicine. I do think it has its place, and I believe in the treatment of trauma, such as broken bones and wounds, such as knife and gunshot wounds. Other than that, I would be very circumspect and very careful in my analysis before I considered any treatment recommended by a medical physician particularly one who wasn't open to alternative medicine and treatments. And before we go on to have a look at the content by Hans Roosh, I wanted to just ask you another quick question. How is it that the newcomer to the block, which is Western allopathic medicine in the last hundred or so years, has the temerity and the arrogance to call itself the mainstream medicine and all other healing modalities have been sidelined and are called alternative thereby in people's minds making them seem less significant and less important. It's a masterstroke really, isn't it? And this next section is by Hans Roosch, or Roosch, R-U-E-S-C-H, The Truth About the Rockefeller Drug Empire, The Drug Story. In the 1930s, Morris A. Beale, a former city editor of the old Washington Times and Herald, was running a county seat newspaper in which the local power company bought a large advertisement every week. This account took quite a lot of worry off Beale's shoulders when the bills came in. But according to Beale's own story, one day the paper took up the cudgels for some of its readers that were being given poor service from the power company, and Morris Beale received the dressing down of his life from the advertising agency which handled the power company's account. It told him that any more such stepping out of line would result in the immediate cancellation not only of the advertising contract, but also of the gas company and the telephone company. That's when Bill's eyes were open to the meaning of a free press, and he decided to get out of the newspaper business. He could afford to do that, because he belonged to the landed gentry of Maryland, but not all newspaper editors are that lucky. Bill used his professional experience to do some deep digging into the freedom of the press situation and came up with two shattering exposés. The drug story and the House of Rockefeller. The fact that in spite of his familiarity with the editorial world and many important personal contacts, he couldn't get his revelations into print until he founded his own company. The Columbia Publishing House, Washington, D.C., 
1949, was just a prime example of the silent but adamant censorship in force in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Although The Drug Story is one of the most important books on health and politics ever to appear in the USA, it has never been admitted to a major bookstore, nor reviewed by any establishment paper, and was sold exclusively by mail. Nevertheless, when we first got to read it in the 1970s, it was already in its 33rd printing, under a different label, By World Publishers or M. Utah. Examples As Bill pointed out, a business which makes 6% on its invested capital is considered a sound moneymaker. Sterling Drug Inc., the main cog and largest holding company in the Rockefeller drug empire, showed operating profits in 1961 of $23,463,719 after taxes on net assets of $43,108,106, a 54% profit. Squibb, another Rockefeller control company, in 1945 made not 6%, but 576% on the actual value of its property. That was during the luscious war years when the Army Surgeon's General Office and the Navy Bureau of Medicine and Surgery were not only acting as promoters for the drug trust, but were actually forcing drug trust poisons into the bloodstreams of American soldiers, sailors, and Marines to the tune of over 200 million shots. Is it any wonder, asked Beale, that the Rockefellers and their stooges in the Food and Drug Administration, the U.S. Public Health Service, and the Federal Trade Commission, the Better Business Bureau, the Army Medical Corps, the Navy Bureau of Medicine, and thousands of health officers all over the country should combine to put out of business all forms of therapy that discourage the use of drugs. The last annual report of the Rockefellers Foundation reported Bill itemizes the gifts it has made to colleges and public agencies in the past 44 years, and the total somewhat over half a billion dollars. These colleges, of course, teach the students all the drug law the Rockefeller pharmaceutical houses want taught, otherwise there would be no more gifts. Just as there are no gifts to any of the 30-odd colleges in the United States that don't use therapies based on drugs. Harvard, with its well-publicized medical school, has received $8,764,433 of Rockefeller Trust money. Yale got $7,927,800. John Hopkins, $10,418,531. Washington University in St. Louis, $2,842,132. New York's Columbia University, $5,424,371. Cornell University, $1,709,072, etc., etc. And while, in quotes, giving away those huge sums to drug propagandizing colleges, the Rockefeller interests were growing into a worldwide web that no one could entirely explore. Already, well over 30 years ago, it was large enough for Beale to demonstrate that the Rockefeller interests had created, built up, and developed the most far reaching industrial empire ever conceived in the mind of man. Standard Oil was, of course, the foundation upon which all of the other Rockefeller industries had been built. The story of old John D., as ruthless an industrial pirate as ever came down the pike, is well known, but it is being today conveniently ignored. The keystone of this mammoth industrial empire was the Chase National Bank, now renamed Chase Manhattan Bank. Not the least of its holdings are in the drug business. 
the Rockefellers own the largest drug manufacturing combine in the world and use all of their other interests to bring pressure to increase the sale of drugs. The fact that most of the 12,000 separate drug items on the market are harmful is of no concern to the drug trust. The Rockefeller Foundation The Rockefeller Foundation was first set up in 1904 and called the General Education Fund. An organization called the Rockefeller Foundation, ostensibly to support the General Education Fund, was formed in 1910 and through long finagling and lots of Rockefeller money, got the New York legislature to issue a charter on May 4, 1913. It is therefore not surprising that the House of Rockefeller has its own nominees planted in all federal agencies that have to do with health, so that the stage was set for the education, in quotes, of the American public, with a view to turning it into a population of drug and medico dependents, with the early help of the parents and the schools, and last but not least, the influence that advertising revenues had on the media makers. A compilation of the magazine Advertising Age shows that as far back as 1948, the larger companies in America spent the advertising sum total of $1,104,224,374 when the dollar was still worth a dollar and not half as lotty. Of this staggering sum, the interlocking Rockefeller Morgan interests, gone over entirely to Rockefeller after Morgan's death, controlled about 80% and utilized it to manipulate public information on health and drug matters, then and even more recklessly now. Censorship. Even the most independent newspapers are dependent on their press associations for their national news, Peel pointed out. And there is no reason for a news editor to suspect that a story coming over the wires of the Associated Press, the United Press or the International News Service is censored when it concerns health matters. Yet this is what happens constantly. In fact, in the 1950s, the Drug Trust had one of its directors on the directorate of the Associated Press. He was no less than Arthur Hayes Schulzberger, publisher of the New York Times, and as such one of the most powerful Associated Press directors. It was thus easy for the Rockefeller Trust to persuade the Associated Press science editor to adopt a policy which would not permit any medical news to clear that is not approved by the Drug Trust expert, in quotes. And this censorship is not going to approve any item that can any way hurt the sale of drugs. This accounts to this day for the many fake stories of serums and medical cures and just around the corner breakthroughs, victories over cancer, AIDS, diabetes, multiple sclerosis, which go out brazenly over the wires to all daily newspapers in America and abroad. Emmanuel M. Josephson, M.D., whom the Drug Trust has been unable to intimidate despite many attempts, pointed out that the National Association of Science Writers was persuaded to adopt as part of its code of ethics the following chestnut. Science editors are incapable of judging the facts of phenomena involved in medical and scientific discovery. Therefore, they only report discoveries, in quotes, approved by medical authorities or those presented before a body of scientific peers. This explains why Bantam Books, America's biggest publisher, made a colossal mistake in its initial enthusiasm and optimism, sending review copies of Slaughter of the Innocent to 3,500 science writers on its list, instead of addressing them to literary book reviewers who are not subject to medical censorship. One single censor decreed no, and Slaughter of the Innocent sank into silence. And by the way, Slaughter of the Innocent is one of Hans Roosh's books. 
Thus, newspapers continued to be fed with propaganda about drugs and their alleged value, although according to the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, 1.5 million people landed in hospitals in 1978 because of medication side effects in the US alone. And despite recurrent statements by intelligent and courageous medical men that most pharmaceutical items on sale today are useless at best, but more often harmful or deadly in the long run. The truth about cures without drugs is suppressed, unless it suits the purpose of the censor to garble it. Whether these cures are affected by chiropractors, naturopaths, napropaths, osteopaths, faith healers, spiritualists, herbalists, Christian scientists or MDs who use the brains they have, you never read about it in the big newspapers. To teach the Rockefeller drug ideology, it is necessary to teach that nature did not know what she was doing when she made the human body. But statistics issued by the Children's Bureau of Federal Security Agency showed that since the all-out drive of the drug trust for drugging, vaccinating and serumizing the human system, the health of the American nation has sharply declined, especially among children. Children are now given shots for this and shots for that when the only safeguard known to science is a pure bloodstream, which can be maintained only with clean air and wholesome food, meaning by natural and inexpensive means. Just what the drug trust most objects to. When the FDA, whose officials have to be acceptable to the Rockefeller Center before they are appointed, has to put an independent operator out of business, it goes all out to execute those orders. But the orders do not come directly from Standard Oil or a drug house director, as Morris Beale pointed out, the American Medical Association is the front for the drug trust and furnishes the quack doctors to testify that, even when they know nothing about the product involved, it is their considered opinion that it has no therapeutic value. Persecution, wrote Beale, financed by the taxpayers, these drug trust persecutions leave no stone unturned to destroy the victim. If he is a small operator, the resulting attorney's fees and court costs put him out of business. In one case, Dr. Adolphus Hohenzi of Scranton, Philadelphia, I guess it is, PA, who had stated that vitamins, he used natural ones, were vital to good health, was taken to court for misbranding his product. The American Medical Association furnished 10 medicos who reversed all known medical theories by testifying that vitamins are not necessary to the human body. Confronted with the government's bulletins to the contrary, the medicos wiggled out of that one by declaring that these standard publications were outdated. In addition to the FDA, Bill listed the following agencies having to do with health, i.e., with the health of the drug trust to the detriment of its citizens, as dependent on Rockefeller. U.S. Public Health Service, U.S. Veterans Administration, Federal Trade Commission, Surgeon General of the Air Force, Army Surgeons General Office, Navy Bureau of Medicine and Surgery, National Health Research Institute, National Research Council, National Academy of Sciences. The National Academy of Sciences in Washington is considered the all-wise body which investigates everything under the sun, especially in the field of health, and gives to a palpitating public the last word in that science. The important post at the head of this agency, the Drug Trust had one of their own appointed, he was none other than Alfred N. Richards, one of the directors and largest stockholders at Merck and Company, which was making huge profits from its drug traffic. When Beale revealed this fact, Richards resigned forthwith, 
and the Rockefellers appointed in his place the president of their own Rockefeller Institute, Detlev W. Bronk. America's Medico Drug Cartel The medical drug cartel was summed up by J.W. Hodge, M.D. of Niagara Falls, New York, in these words. The medical monopoly or medical trust, euphemistically called the American Medical Association, is not merely the meanest monopoly ever organized, but the most arrogant, dangerous, and despotic organization which ever managed to free people in this or any other age. Any and all methods of healing the sick by means of safe, simple, natural remedies are sure to be assailed and denounced by the arrogant leaders of the AMA, Doctors' Trust, as fakes, frauds, and humbugs. Every practitioner of the healing art who does not ally himself with the medical trust is denounced as a dangerous quack and imposter by the predatory trust doctors. Every sanitarian who attempts to restore the sick to a state of health by natural means without resort to the knife or poisonous drugs, disease-imparting serums, deadly toxins or vaccines, is at once pounced upon by these medical tyrants and fanatics bitterly denounced, vilified and persecuted to the fullest extent. The Lincoln Chiropractic College in Indianapolis requires 4,496 hours. The Palmer Institute of Chiropractic in Davenport, a minimum of 4,060-minute classroom hours. The University of Natural Healing Arts in Denver, five years of 1,000 hours each to qualify for a degree. The National College of Naturopathy in Chicago requires 4,326 classroom hours for graduation. Yet the medico drug cartel spreads the propaganda that the practitioners of these three heretic sciences are poorly trained or not trained at all. The real reason being that they cure their patients without the use of drugs. In 1958, one of those ill trained doctors, Nicholas P. Grimaldi, who had just graduated from the Lincoln Chiropractic College, took the basic science examination of the Connecticut State Board along with 63 medics and osteopaths. He made the highest mark, 91.6, ever made by a doctor taking the Connecticut State Board examination. Colonization. Rockefeller's various educational activities had proved so profitable in the U.S. that in 1927, the International Education Board was launched as Junior's own personal charity and endowed with $21 million for a starter to be lavished on foreign universities and politicos with all the usual strings attached. This board undertook to export the new Rockefeller image as the benefactor of mankind as well as his business practices. Nobody informed the beneficiaries that every penny the Rockefellers seemed to be throwing out the window would come back bearing substantial interest through the front door. Rockefeller had always had a particular interest in China, where Standard Oil was almost the sole supplier of kerosene and oil for the lamps of China. So he put up money to establish the China Medical Board and to build the Peking Union Medical College, playing the role of the Great White Father who has come to dispense knowledge on his lowly children. The Rockefeller Foundation investing up to $45 million into westernizing, read corrupting, Chinese medicine. Medical colleges were instructed that if they wished to benefit from the Rockefeller largesse, they had better convince 500 million Chinese to throw into the ash can the safe and useful but inexpensive herbal remedies of their barefoot doctors, which had withstood the test of centuries in favor of the expensive carcinogenic and teratogenic miracle drugs made in the USA, which had to be replaced constantly with new ones 
when the fatal side effects could no longer be concealed, and if they couldn't demonstrate through large-scale animal experiments the effectiveness of their ancient acupuncture, this could not be recognized as having any scientific value. Its melanarian effectiveness proven on human beings was of no concern to the Western wizards. But when the communists came to power in China, and it was no longer possible to trade, the Rockefellers suddenly lost interest in the health of the Chinese people and shifted their attention increasingly to Japan, India, and Latin America. The Image No candid study of his career can lead to other conclusion than that he is a victim of perhaps the ugliest of all passions, that for money, money as an end. It is not a pleasant picture, this money maniac, secretly, patiently, eternally, plotting how he may add to his wealth. He has turned commerce to war, and honey combated it with cruel and corrupt practices, and he calls his great organization a benefactarian, points to all his church-going and charities as proof of his righteousness. This is a supreme wrongdoing cloaked by religion. There is but one name for it. Hypocrisy. This was a description Ida Tarbell made of John D. Rockefeller in her History of the Standard Oil Company, serialized in 1905 by the widely circulated McClure's magazine. And that was several years before the Ludlow Massacre, so JDR was as yet far from having reached the apex of his disrepute. But after World War II, it would have been hard to read, in America or abroad, nor of Junior's four sons, who all endeavoured to emulate their illustrious forebears. Today's various encyclopedias, extant in public libraries of the Western world, have nothing but praise for the family. How was this achieved? Ironically, the two apparently most negative events in the career of JDR brought about huge positive change to his favour, to a degree that he himself could not foresee it, to wit. In the year when, according to the current Encyclopaedia Britannica, long became a Rockefeller property and transferred from Oxford to Chicago, Rockefeller had retired from active business, namely in 1911. He had been convinced by a U.S. court of illegal practices in order to dissolve the Standard Oil Trust, which comprised 40 corporations. This imposed dissolution was to provide his empire with added might, to a degree that was unprecedented in the history of modern business. Until then, the trust had existed for all to see, an exposed target. After that, it went underground, and thereby its power was cloaked in security and could keep expanding unseen and therefore unopposed. His second apparently negative experience was a certain 1949 event that persuaded JDR, until then utterly contemptuous of public opinion, to gloss over his own image. The Ludlow Massacre The United Mine Workers had asked for higher wages and better living conditions for the miners of the Colorado Fuel and Iron Company, one of many Rockefeller-owned companies. The miners, mostly immigrants from Europe's poorest countries, lived in shacks provided by the company at exorbitant rent. Their low wages, $1.68 a day, were paid in script redeemable only at company stores charging high prices. The churches they attended were the pastorates of company-hired ministers. Their children were taught in company-controlled schools. The company libraries excluded books that the Bible-thumping Rockefellers deemed subversive, such as Darwin's Origin of the Species, the company maintained a force of detectives, mine guards, and spies whose job it was to keep the camp quarantined from the danger of unionization. When the miners struck, 
JDR Jr., then officially in charge of the company, and his father's hatchet man, the Baptist Reverend Frederick T. Gates, who was a director of the Rockefeller Foundation, refused to even negotiate. They evicted the strikers from the company-owned shacks, hired a thousand strikebreakers from the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency, and persuaded Governor Ammons to call out the National Guard to help break the strike. Open warfare resulted. Guardsmen, miners, the women and children, who since their eviction were camping in tents, were ruthlessly killed until the frightened governor wired President Wilson for federal troops who eventually crushed the strike. The New York Times, which then already could never be accused of being unfriendly to Rockefeller interests, reported on April 21, 1914, a 14-hour battle between striking coal miners and members of the Colorado National Guard in the Ludlow District today culminated in the killing of Louis Tickus, leader of the Greek strikers, and in the destruction of the Ludlow Tent Colony by fire. And the following day, 45 dead, 32 of them women and children. A score missing and more than a score wounded is the known result of the 14-hour battle which raged between state troops and coal miners in the Ludlow District on the property of the Colorado Fuel and Iron Company, the Rockefeller Holding. The Ludlow is a mass of charred debris and buried beneath it is a story of horror unparalleled in the history of industrial warfare. In the holes that had to be dug for the protection against rifle fire, the women and children died like trapped rats as the flames swept over them. One pit uncovered this afternoon disclosed the bodies of ten children and two women. Through a facelift. The worldwide revulsion that followed was such that JDR decided to hire the most talented press agent in the country, Ivy Lee, who got the tough assignment of whitewashing the tycoon's bloodied image. When Lee learned that the newly organized Rockefeller Foundation had $100 million lying around for promotional purposes without knowing what to do with it, he came with a plan to donate large sums, none less than a million, to well-known colleges, hospitals, churches, and benevolent organizations. The plan was accepted. So were the millions. And they made headlines all over the world. For in the days of the gold standard and the five-cent cigar, there was a maxim in every newspaper offices that a million dollars was always news. That was the beginning of the cleverly worded medical reports on new miracle drugs and just around the corner breakthroughs, planted in the leading news offices and press associations that continue to this day. And the flighty public soon forgot or forgave the massacre of foreign emigrants for the dazzling display of generosity and philanthropy financed by the ballooning Rockefeller fortune and going out with thunderous press fanfare to the various worthy, in quotes, institutions. The Purchase of Public Opinion In the following years, not only newsmen, but whole newspapers were bought, financed or founded with Rockefeller money. So Time magazine, which Henry Luce started in 1923, had been taken over by J.P. Morgan when the magazine got into financial difficulties. When Morgan died and his financial empire crumbled, the thorough facelift house of Rockefeller wasted no time in taking over this lush editorial plum also, together with its sisters, Fortune and Life, and built for them an expensive 14-story home in their own Rockefeller Center, the Time and Life Building. Rockefeller was also co-owner of Time's rival magazine, Newsweek, which had been established in the early days of the New Deal with the money put up by Rockefeller, Vincent Astor, and the Harriman family, and other members and allies of the house. 
The Intellectuals. A Bargain. For all his innate cynicism, JDR must have been surprised to discover how easily the so-called intellectuals could be bought. Indeed, they turned out to be amongst his best investments. By founding and lavishly endowing his education boards at home and abroad, Rockefeller won control not only of governments and politicos, but also of the intellectual and scientific community, starting with the medical power, the organization that forms those priests of the new religion that are the modern medicine men. No Pulitzer or Nobel or any similar prize endowed with money and prestige has ever been awarded to a declared foe of the Rockefeller system. Henry Luce, the original founder and editor of Time magazine, but constantly dependent on house advertising, also distinguished himself on his adulation of his sponsors. JDR's son had been responsible for the Ludlow massacre and an obedient partner in his father's most unsavory actions. Nonetheless, in 1956, Henry Luce put Jr. on the cover of Time, and the feature story, soberly titled The Good Man, included hyperboles like this. It is because John D. Rockefeller Jr.'s is a life of constructive social giving that he ranks as an authentic American hero, just as certainly as any general who ever won a victory for an American army or any statesman who triumphed in behalf of U.S. diplomacy. Clearly, Time's editorial board wasn't given the choice to change its tune, even after the passing of Junior and Henry Luce, since it remained just as dependent on House of Rockefeller advertising. Thus, when in 1979, one of Junior's sons, Nelson A. Rockefeller, died, who had been one of the loudest hawks in Vietnam and other American wars, and was personally responsible for the massacre of prisoners and hostages at Atikia, I think it is, or Atikia, A-T-T-I-C-I-A, prison, Time said of him in obituary, Without laughing, he was driven by a mission to serve, improve, and uplift his country. Perhaps it was all this that Professor Peter Singer had in mind when telling the judges in Italy that the Rockefeller Foundation was a humanitarian enterprise bent on doing good works. One of their best works seems to be the sponsoring of Professor Peter Singer, the world's greatest animal friend and protector, who claims that vivisection is indispensable for medical progress and for more than 20 years refuses to mention that legions of medical doctors are of the opposite view. Millions of dollars of free publicity. Another interesting revelation in the article of Time was that many years ago, already Singer was pleasantly surprised when Britannica approached him to distill in about 30,000 words the discipline that, at its heart, the systemic study of what we ought to do. So now we touch the subject of sponsorization and patronage. They don't always mean immediate cash, but more important, long-term profits. Many decades ago, the Encyclopedia Britannica moved from Oxford to Chicago because Rockefeller had bought it to add much-needed luster to the University of Chicago and its medical school, the first one he had founded. Peter Singer, the world's greatest animal defender, in quotes, who keeps a door permanently open to the vivisection and lucrative medical swindle, gets millions of dollars, free publicity, thanks to the worldwide engagement of the Rockefeller Foundation and the media makers who are in no position to oppose it. From his article in Time, we also learned that Singer's mother had been medical doctor in the old country, which could mean that little Peter started assimilating all Rockefeller's superstitions on vivisection with his mother's milk. I'm going to stop now. I've given you plenty to think about. And just to remind you, as always, and don't let anyone 
tell you otherwise. You are amazing. And I'm looking forward to speaking to you in the next podcast. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.